0: So we are uh, in the middle of a series on Revelation Church's core values. And this week, we are talking about kingdom-focused stewardship. Last week, we talked about uh, honest and authentic relationships. We've talked about submitting ourselves to scripture, but humbly. We've talked about prayer being primary. And some of these core values are things that we need to be doing. We need to be people of prayer. We need to make that a priority. Uh, We need to have an attitude to the way we approach scripture that is humble. We need to cultivate relationships. Um, Those are activities that we need to engage in. Stewardship is a little bit different. Uh, Stewardship is something that we are all already doing. We are all stewards. But the question is whether or not we are good stewards whether we are focused on the kingdom of God in our stewardship. A steward is someone that takes care of something that doesn't belong to them, something that has been given to them on loan. And for us, if we are Christians, we recognize that everything that we have has been given to us as a gift by God. As we think about stewardship, if you've been in the church uh, for a a while, you you may have heard stewardship talked about like this. Um, If you have your Bibles and can turn to 1 Corinthians 4, uh, I'm reading out of the CSB, so it doesn't even say stewards here. But um, when I was growing up in 1 Corinthians 4, I was taught a, a person who thinks a person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mystery of God that would be stewards of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that stewards be found faithful. And the idea I was given growing up was that and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the idea of being faithful is kind of like we think of dogs. I don't know if you are a social media person, but there's a whole category of social media devoted to dogs, and uh, they don't even say dogs; they say things like "15 pictures of goob puppers," which I don't understand. But people are so excited about how cute dogs are, about how silly dogs are, about how fun dogs are that they just they lose their minds over dogs, and this is kind of how I think we see faithfulness, like a a good dog, good dog that just, that comes and sits by you and puts their head on your lap, and it's just a faithful dog. There's not really any obligation put on that dog other than just to be a good dog. And stewards are supposed to be faithful, and so we can walk away from that going like, well, you know what, I love Jesus, so that means I'm a good steward. But that's not really true. If you, if you think that about that at all, a steward is someone who's been given responsibility to manage the goods of another person. And in that ex- situation, faithfulness is marked by how well you managed what you've been given. And this is really clear in the story that we just read in Luke. And when we think of stewardship, we should be thinking more about this kind of stewardship, a stewardship with responsibilities, than a stewardship that is just about, like, well, I, I love Jesus and that's enough. So in Luke chapter 19, Jesus has just uh, visited Zacchaeus' house, the wee little man. And Zacchaeus has um, had an experience with God, and he's decided that his greedy way of lifestyle is, is not doing it for him, and he is going to follow Jesus. He's going to give half of his wealth away to the poor, and Jesus announces that salvation has come to his house. And they leave this place, and it says that as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. So what's happening here is in about a week and a half, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be uh, falsely accused by the Jewish leaders. He's going to be arrested by the Romans. He's going to be (laughs) murdered on a Roman cross. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. Forty days after that, he's going to ascend to the Father. But his followers don't know that right now. Right now they think their Messiah, their King, the one they're expecting is going to come in and they're going to kick out the Roman government. They're going to make a military stand somehow and because they are God's person, they're going to free the Jewish people from tyranny and set up a kingdom on earth. And so this is what his followers are excited about because he's going to Jerusalem. Maybe this is it. This is the time that he is going to make a stand and take over the country. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. There's something about knowing that your situation is going to change that changes the way you behave. If you've ever um, worked with someone who gave notice at a job or maybe given notice yourself and you've got to work for two weeks or another month, there's something that's called short timers syndrome. And what that means is basically, you know, I'm leaving soon. I don't really care that much about what happens. And your work changes, your attitude changes, where in a different situation, you would have been acting this way because you're going to be leaving. You're like, I'm going to take an extra 10 minutes at lunch, or I'm not going to file that paperwork, or I'm not going to do that because, you know, what's it really matter anyway? Um, This last Tuesday, my company, the company that I work for, uh, laid off about 80% of its employees. And the department that I work in was all converted to independent contractors. We were all salaried prior to that. And that starts on Monday. And the funny thing, from Tuesday to Friday, just the work environment in the room was very different. We still had four more days of getting paid a salary to do a job, but everybody was just kind of like, you know what? I don't really have it in me today to work. And I don't think that's probably the right attitude to have, um, but it's a reality. It, It just feels different. Like this thing is coming to an end. So I don't, I don't really know what to do. And these people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Jesus is going to sit on the throne in the next couple days. The new heavens and the new earth are going to be inaugurated. And that affects the way you think about life. And so Jesus tells this story Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. This is pretty clearly Jesus. Jesus is the nobleman. He's going to be crucified for sin. He's going to rise from the dead and ascend to the Father. In the process of that, he's going to save a people for himself. He's going to defeat sin and death through his resurrection. And he's going to claim rightful authority over the whole world. He is the king of the whole world. And we are waiting for his return. He indicates this by saying, this nobleman is traveling to a far country. This this process is going to take a while. His followers weren't prepared for this. They were thinking this was going to happen right away. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. So we're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to talk about taking things that do not belong to you, but then have been given to you and using them for the glory of God. Each of the servants, and it doesn't really matter that there's 10, Jesus is just, I think, using that as a storytelling element they all get a mina. A mina is a form of currency that was about 3 months' salary. So you figure that out in your head, how much money you make a month, multiply it by three. It's not nothing, but it's not a fortune either. It's a little bit of money. Take this money and engage in business until I come back. So I've got some principles that we can learn about stewardship for you if you like to write stuff down. Principle number one is we have all been given something to steward. All of us have been given something to steward. Last week we, uh, I said, uh, we talked about a passage that had to do with money. And I said, we weren't going to talk about money. We're going to talk about relationships this week. We're talking about a passage that has to do with money and we're sort of talking about money, but we're also talking about every other thing that we have. What have you been given? Have you been given financial resources? Have you been given health? Have you been given influence? in amongst your peers at work, at school, at home, in the community, have you been given power? Are you a manager, a boss, a parent? Have you been given ability? Can you write or paint or build or think well? Have you been given wisdom? Do you just know the right course of action to things? All of these things are gifts that we've been given by God that he asks us to look after. In verse 14, it says, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. This is a weird little uh, interlude in this story. It doesn't seem to fit at first. There are people in this kingdom that don't want the king to rule, that don't want him to reign And it's important that we remember that. There's a difference between servants and subjects. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you said, yeah, I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, I want to follow you, Jesus, you are a servant. But there's a whole bunch of people that are subjects. Jesus rules this planet. He is the rightful king of the earth. But not everybody is following him. And so principle number two is we exercise our stewardship in hostile territory. We live in a world full of people that do not understand our allegiance to the King. I was reading an article a couple months ago on budgeting and it, was a, it wasn't a Christian article, it wasn't a Christian website, it was just an article on budgeting and they were talking about how it's a good idea to set aside 10% of your income to charity and somebody in the comments just started railing against the writer of the article about how stupid it was to give money to the sky god and just, I mean, he was just bitterly atheist and, and hateful in his comments. And somebody pointed out like you could give your money to the Humane Society if you wanted to. It's just like a nice thing to be able to do, but he wouldn't have any of it. it was he was, He was obviously hurt by the church and he had an ax to grind against the idea of giving your money away to a charitable cause. And and so there are people that are going to see the way we interact with our resources, and they're not going to understand it because they are not servants. They are subjects. And the thing for us to remember here is don't judge a subject like they are a servant. Don't treat someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't understand who God is, like they should, because they don't. They're not going to have the same priorities as us. They're not going to have the same goals in their life because they don't have the same king yet. Verse 15, Jesus says, "'At his return, having received the authority to be king, "'he summoned those servants he had given the money to "'so that he could find out how much "'they had made in business.'" At his return, Jesus is coming back. This is, this is all throughout the Bible. This is, there are very few things that I think I would die for. This is one of them. Jesus is coming back. He will rule and reign, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. That doesn't mean that he will be an evil ruler. That means his rule will be absolute. He will destroy sin and death and right all the wrongs in the world. And this is the big picture of the gospel. Sometimes we, we lose sight of this. We think the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. And that's part of it. That's good news for us. But the gospel is that Jesus is the king of the entire world, and he is going to restore it to the way he wanted it to be. He's going to transform every aspect of it for his glory. If you think about most of the stories Jesus tells about the kingdom of God, he talks about this big picture gospel we need to keep in mind that Jesus's salvation that he brings is personal to us, but it is also for the whole world. Romans says that creation groans in anticipation of the return of Jesus. And this needs to be the backdrop of our thoughts on stewardship. What do we do with the things that we've been given? We are called to make disciples. We're called to tell people the good news about Jesus, to invite them into a relationship with Christ. But we're also called to partner with Jesus to make the world a better place, to cultivate goodness and beauty and work for justice and the prosperity of people. The resources of the kingdom are to be leveraged in the world. Look at what he says. He wants to find out how much they had made in business. He said, take, take this money of mine and go out there and do something with it. Principle number three for us is we steward our resources in the world. And this is, this is Important because we get confused and we think we need to steward our resources in the church. And that's okay. You know, we, I, if, you, if you feel like hypothetically you've got a sum of money and you want to use that to build an orphanage in Africa to teach people about Jesus, that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. But what if you wanna invest in a company that builds solar panels cheaply and effectively and, and cuts down on carbon emissions? Like that's also a good thing. Sometimes being directly involved in the church with your stewardship is a good thing. And sometimes being involved outside the church with your stewardship is a good thing. The worst part is sometimes we think our stewardship needs to be done on Sunday morning. Like I have gifts and talents and, and, and the only reason I have them is so that I can do something at church from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And that's, that's a mistake that we make. What we've been given has been given to us to live our entire lives doing out in the world And what we do with it and how we grow it matters to Jesus. Verse 16, the first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. The servant uses what's been given, and he multiplies it. He takes it, and he invests it, and he makes more of it. And his reward for that is political authority over towns. Randy, Randy Alcorn writes in his book, Heaven, he says, nothing demonstrates how far we've distanced ourselves from our biblical calling, like our lack of knowledge about our destiny to rule the earth. In that book, if you've read it, it's about 450 pages, and he dismantles this idea that the life after this life is us sitting on clouds playing harps, or it's just maybe you've heard a church service forever and ever and ever where we just sing constantly if you've, ever, if you've ever heard that and thought, wow, that just doesn't really sound very good to me. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I like church, but not that much. Uh, heaven is a place that's more like earth than it is not like earth. And when Jesus says, you have authority over towns, I think there's some reality in that. I think our stewardship here, what we do with what we've been given here, will have a material reflection in the kingdom come. There will be cities, there will be governments, and there will be people that to give an authority under Jesus to steward those resources in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 20. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. The servant says he's afraid of the master, that he knows he's harsh and he's, he's fearful that he, his investment will not go well and that he will be punished. But the master sees through this. The master says, if this was true, you would have put this money in the bank because then at least it would have gained interest. See, the master's calling him out and saying, the truth is you didn't think I was coming back. You didn't think I was going to return. Principle number four for us is our stewardship is shaped by our eschatology, eschatology is a fancy word that means what we believe about the end of the world. If we do not believe that Jesus is coming back, that's gonna affect what we do with the resources we've been given. If we don't think that he is gonna ask about it, then we're not going to be worried about doing well. In verse 24, he says, So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And principle number five is we will be judged on our stewardship. And this is not meant to be scary But it is a reality. There's going to be a day when we all stand before Jesus and we have a talk about how we lived our lives. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And our works will be judged by fire. Fire is a metaphor for judgment throughout the Bible. And he says some of these works, which are gold and silver and precious stones, they will withstand the fire and they will remain. And others of them that are wood and hay and stubble, they will burn up. And this is an issue of, this is not an issue of whether you are a child of God or not, whether you are a citizen of the king, but it is an issue of how well you use the things you were given. How did you spend your money? How did you spend your time? What about that healthy body I gave you? More or less. What about the influence you have at work or at school or the power you've been given over others to make decisions for them, like your children or um, subordinates at work? What about those talents that you've been given? How have you used those? And I believe that we will all have an opportunity to talk with Jesus about that. And, and there will be some things that he will go, that's great, good job. And there will be other things that like, yeah, that was kind of a waste. You probably shouldn't have done that. And so with this backdrop, what do we? What, what can we take away from this idea that, that helps us have a kingdom-focused stewardship? And I've got five things for us personally and then three that I, I feel like we can Apply to the church as a whole. And the first thing is, we are responsible to steward the things we've been given by the king. And if you ask, what are those things? It's all the things. (laughs) If you have control over something, it's yours to use. Now, there's tons of things that are out of our control. And we're not responsible for those things, but the things that are in our control, we're responsible for. And we could, it, we could sit here probably for hours and maybe, maybe this is an exercise for you to do as you go home with your family or friends. Like, what are the things that I have? Because once you start thinking about that, I think that list gets pretty big. What have I been given to steward? Number two, we get concerned about what we have been given. Like, why don't, I don't have as much money as this person. I'm not as smart as that person. I don't have the talents that this person has. Jesus doesn't care about that. Sometimes we think that Jesus is concerned about what we do with what we've been given. Should I, should I go to this school or that school? Should I take that job or that job? Should I invest in this thing or that thing? But in this story, what the nobleman is concerned about is how it grows. He's not concerned about who gets what. He's not really concerned about what you do with what you've been given. He's concerned about how it grows. And so while there are some things that we want to pray about and seek the Lord on and get his direction on, there's some things that we should just start doing. You know what? I like this thing. I'm going to invest in it. I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to try this one. Sometimes being paralyzed by indecision when you're talking about the gifts that you have is the worst thing. It's worse to not do anything than it is to just try some stuff. Look, there's there's no condemnation between the, the servant that gained 10 minas and the servant that gained five minas, both get a well done. And we're so fearful sometimes that we're going to take what we've been given and do the wrong thing with it when maybe the wrong thing is to do nothing at all. Number three, our lives will look different than those outside the kingdom because we have different responsibilities. I'm going to read this quote from C.S. Lewis that I did last week, again, because I like it. He says I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is not is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. What Lewis is saying is all things being equal, if I make $50,000 a year and my neighbor makes $50,000 a year, my lifestyle should look different because I devote some of my income to giving away to others and my neighbor buys a jet ski. And that's okay, because as servants, we have different responsibilities. We've been given a job to do. And it should look this way in a variety of contexts. Sometimes you're going to make decisions about how to spend your time that your friends that aren't Christians are going to go, what are you doing? Like, we're all going to go out late and do this thing. Like, yeah, I'm not, because i got to go to church in the morning. I work with a bunch of guys who will not come to church because, man, Saturday night is the second night we get drunk and I need to sleep in on Sunday morning. Which, I I mean, I get it. (laughs) but, But I would say my change of priorities. I have different priorities. I need to go to bed early on Saturday night. The things we watch, the things we do, the way we spend our money and our time, it's going to look different because we have a different job to do. And that's okay. There's not a judgment against people because of that, because they're not servants, they're, they're just subjects. And we hope that they become servants. We hope that they decide to follow Jesus. Number four is this idea of vocation. This kind of ties into the second point about just doing something. Vocation is the idea that we've all been given a job to do that's different than our neighbors. Sometimes you're super passionate about something, a cause, um, a, a doctrine of the church, a style of music, whatever. And because it's so exciting to you, because you're so into that thing, you think everybody else should be into that thing too. And then you find out that they're not, And then all of a sudden they're heretics or they're not as mature as you are, or maybe they're not even saved. And the thing is, God gives us all different passions for a reason. I was listening to a podcast last week and they, they were talking about the issue of racial reconciliation and abortion and how this one, um, the host of the podcast was saying that he's been told that that if you are passionate about racial reconciliation, you are outside the will of God because the most important political cause for the church is the abortion issue. And he was saying, no, that's not true because some people are called to be on fire about Ending abortion. Like that's that's an important thing. And abortion is a great evil that the church should stand up against. But other people are called to other causes. And that's okay. And whether it's a whether it's a social cause or a charity or a job or a, a a major in school or a choice in your life. We, My wife talks to people all the time about education. We homeschool our children and homeschoolers are notorious for thinking everyone else is subpar for not homeschooling, which is awful. And she talks to moms who don't homeschool and they feel guilt from the church, but there shouldn't be guilt because it's okay. Everybody makes decisions for their family that are the... Hopefully, prayerfully, that are the right decisions for their family. And your vocation and my vocation are different. And we should be willing to love that about one another instead of criticize one another for it. And number five, Jesus is not coming back tomorrow unless he does. This story highlights the fact that we need to be diligently working for the cause of Christ. He's been giving, giving us jobs to do, talents to have, resources to use, specifically because He is not here. And since He is not here physically, we need to work hard for His cause. But we also need to remember that he could come back at any time. And that when he does, he's going to ask us to give an account. What did you do with what I gave you? How did it go? That's a tension that we have to keep in balance. It's easy easy to act like he's just never going to return and live your life accordingly. And it's also easy to get so focused on his return that we miss the world going by around us and we squander the resources that we've been given. So we have to keep those ideas in tension. As we close, I've got a couple things that since this is one of the church's core values, this should affect the way the church as a whole conducts itself and i've got three things that that if you were at our family meeting last month you've heard some of this but one of the things that we like to keep in mind with regards to stewardship is is the budget categories of the church there's basically four categories of our budget outreach ministry operations and staffing outreach is funds or resources that are used to tell people the good news about Jesus ministry is funds that are used to build up the body of Christ Operations is how we keep the lights on, and then staffing is, is paying people. And it is my goal, we haven't reached this yet, we're in second year of our budget, but it is my goal that our budget would operate with at least 50% of our funds going to outreach and ministry. Because I think that those categories, spending resources to tell people about Jesus, spending resources to build up the body of Christ, those are the things that have the greatest return for the kingdom. Um, there's, there's things that we need to do to, to pay our rent, to pay our utilities, to, um, make photocopies and, and buy communion bread and and all of those things are necessary. But as much as we can give to helping us grow closer to Jesus and letting other people experience who God is, I think we're making good stewardship decisions if we do that. And so that's my hope in the next, maybe not the next budget year, but maybe two years from now, we can work towards having a budget that is at least 50% outreach and ministry. Um, second thing that I like to think about with regards to the church is that our greatest resource that we've been given is one another. The people in our body are the greatest gift that God has given us. And we are not best used on Sunday mornings. And what I mean by that is there are jobs to do on Sunday, but we get in the habit in the church of, of thinking that the only way I can serve God is by having a job on Sunday morning. And if you, if you want a job on Sunday morning, we can give you one. There's, there's plenty to go around. But that's not the best way to use your gifts all the time. There should be things that you are doing out in the community, ways that you are loving people, ways that you are pouring out into the good of the city that glorify Jesus, that are bigger and greater and um, more exciting, maybe, than some of the things that we need to do on Sunday morning. And we want to be a church that recognizes that and partners with you in that. And so if there's, ever, if there's ever something that you're involved in, and I know some of you are involved in some amazing things, we want to know about it. We want to pray for that. We want to, maybe there's a way that we can partner together in that thing that you're doing. Maybe we can help you as a body do that thing that you feel called to do. But we want to make sure that we are the church out in the city using our gifts, not just the church that comes together for an hour on Sunday and, and does this gathering. And number three, we want to find the best investment for our resources. And this means the money that we have. This means the time that we have, the people that we have. And sometimes the best investment is something that someone else is already doing hypothetically, if if we felt the Lord leading us to be involved in feeding the hungry, we might decide, well, we should start a food bank. But rather than starting a food bank, I would say, why don't we look out into the community and see who is already doing a good job serving the hungry through a food bank. Let's see how we can help their food bank be better. Instead of duplicating something just because it's our thing, let's just see how we can make this happen as best as possible, even if somebody else has already started it, even if we don't get the credit for it. Because sometimes that's the best way to invest the things that we've been given. So we want to be people that are kingdom focused in our stewardship. Because we are all stewards. We've all been given something. And it's up to us to whether we're going to use it wisely or unwisely. Because someday Jesus is going to talk to us about it. But all these things that we have have been given to us as gifts. And to see that as a gift, to see our finances, to see our relationships, to see our abilities as gifts should bring us joy. We've been entrusted. The the servants in the story, they they got the king's money. Here, hold on to this for me. I trust you. Take care of this while I'm away. That's the relationship we have with Jesus. Take care of this while I'm away. And we'll talk about how it went when I come back. And so my encouragement to all of us this morning is, is to just begin to think through those things. What, what do I have, actually? Not, not what does that person have that I don't have, but what have I been given? How has God blessed me? What can I do with my body, with my mind, with my relationships? What can I do with the resources I've been given? And how can I best use those things to tell people about Jesus, to bring goodness and beauty into our community, to promote justice and the prosperity of life The things that Jesus is doing, remaking this world into his kingdom, how can I be a part of that with what I have? We sang a little bit this morning, and we're going to sing some more, that Jesus is coming soon. And we want to be people that are always aware of that. Our king is coming soon, maybe tomorrow maybe 10 years from now, we don't know, but we get the opportunity to steward his resources until he comes back. And he said, until I return, because when I return, we're going to have a big dinner and I'm going ha- to have bread and cup with my people. But until I do that, I want you to remember me, look forward to that dinner that we're going to have together with the bread and the cup. And so we're going to share communion. We're going to remember the body and the bloodshed of Jesus. We're going to sing a little bit more. Uh, and so let's, let's pray. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at RevelationCDA.com